Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the Sign Off of Frameworth podcast for yet another week. It is the podcast where we talk about all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. I'm joined in studio by Brian Aaronworth. A peek behind the curtains, you've been out of town for a while, so yes. it's been it's been quite a bit since you and I have sat down across the room from one another. Well, you covered for me. You did it. Okay job. Just an okay job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what? I was kind of, I think, I think the fame was getting to my head a little bit. I thought maybe you'll never come back from Florida. I was I did listen to your uh, podcast in the car on the way down to Florida to see the Crosby. So there you go. You know what? I was surprised. I wasn't sure if you'd listen if you weren't on it. So it's good to hear that you're still interested (laughs) in the content that we're putting out there. That's Brian Aaron with President of Frameworth Marketing, if I didn't mention that before. As we always do on the podcast, we have a guest who we want to get to. But before we do that, read off a little bit of a review. We want to show some support to those of you out there listening and, uh, lending us a hand by going to iTunes and giving us a rating and review. A reminder on Spotify, you can now rate the podcast. Give us that five stars. It always helps us out quite a bit. Uh, so this podcast review comes through Apple Podcasts from Ty Cats Chad. Amazing podcast is the title, five stars. I listen to every episode and absolutely love it. As a Rangers fan, I've told the Rick Nash story to all my buddies. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks, Chad Vardy. So Chad, thanks for the review. The uh, I know what I want to give him. He's a Rangers fan. He's a Rangers fan. I think we got a Brian Leach autographed photo that we're going to send you. Um, and Mike, you'll tell you how to get it. All you got to do, uh, Chad, is reach out to us, sign off pod at framework.com 30 days from the launch of this episode, and we'll get that sent out to you as a show of appreciation for leaving the review. If you want to uh, open yourself up to potentially receiving some free signed 8x10 photos, uh, potentially some pucks and things down the line, just go to Apple Podcasts, leave us that rating and review. As I mentioned, it does a ton of work for us. Plus, it's just really good for my ego. I, I kind of need that sometimes. Times are tough right now. We went through a hard two years. I could use the ego inflation. Uh, but without further ado, uh, we've got our guest waiting in the wings. Uh, today on the podcast, we've got a legend in our midst. He spent 25 seasons coaching in the CHL with 22 of them dedicated to the battalion, both in Brampton and North Bay, where he often served double and even triple duty as their GM and director of hockey operations. He ranks among the winning, winningest OHL coaches of all time. And did I mention he's earned a bronze and silver medal in the World Juniors as head coach of Team Canada? I could go on, but I'd rather just introduce today's guest, Stan Butler. Stan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem, guys. I just uh, hope you appreciate it. I'm in North Bay, Ontario here. So as I look at myself in your your mirror that shoots back at me, uh, that's what <laughs> happens when you've been out snowblowing for two hours and you have what we call in Northern Ontario, two care. So <laughs> okay, I apologize to anybody out there that knows me and says, oh my God, he looks like his hair is standing up. Well, that's what happens when uh, you get 15 centimeters of snow. You know what? I think it just looks like you're uh, like you're too cool for the interview, and it goes it goes a long way. Like those kids who show up to school with like one strap of their backpack hanging on the other one off. Like you, you just look like you're showing up with uh, a little bit of uh, swagger, swagger, like a little bit of ease you're bringing in here. Uh, and you know what? You've earned it. A career that I can't wait to get into. Uh, uh, and before we touch on the specifics, you, Stan, and my dad, Brian, uh, have quite a history together. And I know I mentioned at the top of the episode that we like to talk about things like uh, outside of the the rink and in, in the realm of sports like memorabilia and that sort of thing you guys have worked together in terms of your communications and relationships with some players entering the league and you continue to do so uh uh dad do you want to lead us off well maybe I, I met a little bit stan about- for the first time I, I think going back i don't remember specifically when i i do remember some good circumstances <laughs> um stan of course is very good friends with troy and trina crosby and and the crosby's um going back to when sid was was in the minors and then i met 
met him specifically that I remember uh, when we took over the exclusive memorabilia for Matt Duchesne before mm-hmm. he even hit the NHL. Right. And of course, Stan was coaching out in Brampton. So um, that's how we first got together and, and uh, with the Duchesnes and, and Matt himself. And, and so that's, that was the beginning. And then there's been a lot of fun time since. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had a lot of fun together, Mikey. We've, uh, been to a few Stanley Cup parties in uh, Cool Harbor together. Um, you know, I mean, uh, I could tell you funny stories about Troy, how he became my roommate when I used to run all these camps that Sid was at. But, uh, yeah, Brian and I were at a few Stanley Cup parties, and then we were at a 21st birthday party at uh, Fox Harbor that uh, was pretty was, awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, was, it would fit right up there with the type of parties that your family's used to. Uh, it was a three-day <laughs> thing, and I – I, I think for the first time ever in Fox Harbor, by the end of uh, Sunday, there was no booze left. So uh, it was a true Maritimes party. And, <laughs> it's an uh, East Coast party. What can I say? Yeah. yeah. And then, then then we just went from there. We became friends. I heard you say Ricky Nash. Ricky played for me in the World Juniors. He was uh, He's a Brampton boy. Uh, I can still remember once him knocking on my door in my uh, office there. And he said, Stan, do you mind if I sit down and sign a bunch of stuff? And I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. Who's it for? He says, Brian. I says, well, if it's for Brian, you can sit down and sign it. So, yeah, there's <laughs> been even a lot of players that have sat in my office and signed stuff for your dad that your dad didn't realize where they were signing the stuff, but it happened to be in my office. A few of my Sharpies were on a few of his stuff. There you go. Some behind the scenes. <laughs> I, I like that info. By the way, before we go too much farther from this, you mentioned parties and, and the one in Fox Harbor, for example. Uh, happy belated birthday to you, Stan. February 2nd, just last week as of the time of the show. Yeah, trip. yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm born on Groundhog's Day. So, you know, I, my, I have a special needs daughter, Sarah, who's 31, and uh, she calls me and she's not excited that it's my birthday. She's excited that uh, she's going to tell me what uh, happens to Wyatt and Willie. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Actually, it's, you know- uh, it's an interesting day when your kids feel your second fiddle on your birthday to a groundhog to a groundhog well you know it, it funny you should mention that sarah yes from pei right right sarah from pei and so your birthday's on the second stand mikey's on the third and we got a very special message from um uh a, sarah out sarah in out in pei and louis uh her father and they did a video message for mikey a uh, little uh happy birthday song and i wanted to give her a shout out before i forget so uh, we're going to post a picture of her and her dad sure. uh, yeah. on this podcast after we finish taping. And uh, so to your daughter, Sarah, and to this Sarah out in PEI, Tignish, who are big listeners, uh, two very special young ladies. Um, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't we didn't forget about yeah, that. Yeah, no, good call. That was uh, a moment on my birthday that I'll never. Legitimately, one of my favorite moments in the birthday was getting the video of of Sarah singing uh, "Happy Birthday" to me. So thank you so much, Sarah. Uh, you know what? I can't wait until I turn thirty four and I, maybe I'll get another video. That's that's now what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Sorry you know, to digress, know what, but the I unfortunate did thing for you on this podcast is the other two guys that are involved in it. Uh, they can't remember when they were thirty four. <laughs> <laughs> I got to take advantage while I'm still here, uh, um, Stan. I. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, your your early goings on, and and we'll get a little bit more into the memorabilia side of things and and the industry of sports beyond the rink. Uh, but I do want to talk about how you first got involved. You're a man who graduated from Brock University with a bachelor's in phys ed, eventually earned a master's of education in U of T. Um, was coaching always in the cards for you, or did you just kind of figure at some point that you'd be able to pair your uh, master's of education with your history in phys ed and 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 use that to communicate? 
to some of the kids and, and players out there to co- sort of give them some Well, guidance. no, I, I, I never thought I would be a hockey coach. I started off and being a school teacher in Scarborough. Uh, there's no such thing as Scarborough anymore, but to us Scarborough boys, there will always be Scarborough. Sure. I taught there for 15 years. I, I moved up the ranks. I became a phys ed consultant. But at the same time, as a kid, I was, you know, played hockey for Wexford Hockey Association in Scarborough. Um, and then what happened was uh, the president of Wexford had called me at one time. He said, you know, Stan, we're looking for a coach. It was my first year teaching. He said to me, would you uh, – would you coach for us? So I started coaching minor hockey, minor Adam. I'm probably the only guy that ever did this, that, you know, coach Team Canada World Juniors. But right. I actually started coaching nine-year-olds, um, 72 bursts. So they're all going to turn 50 this year. Wow. And I started at Wexford in the first couple of years. We just got pounded by the Marlies with guys like Eric Lindros and, you know, the Nats with Todd Simon and Paul Capizano, who's an agent now. And they were good teams. And then we just got better and better. And then by the time we got to be Peewee, we had a pretty good team. And we won the All-Ontario Peewee, All-Ontario Bantam, All-Ontario Midget. So then what happened was the Wexford had a junior team and they weren't doing very well. They were in last place. So they said to me, Stan, would you take the junior team over, which which in the Metro Junior League, which, you know, is... There's no, it's not really a league like it now. And I took that over and coached there for five years. First year we lost in the finals, game seven overtime, too many men on the ice, sound like Don Cherry. <laughs> and then we won the league four years in a row. I was lucky enough on that team to have players like Anson Carter. We ended up with, I think, 72 or 75 scholarships in five years. And uh, we had a very successful program, but I was pretty happy doing what I was doing, whatever. Then I got a call from the late Frankie J. Uh, who was a general manager uh, or was an, a consultant for the Oshawa Generals. And he said, have you ever, would you ever consider coaching in the Ontario Hockey League? I said, I never, ever thought about it. And I went and interviewed with the Oshawa Generals and I coached the Oshawa Generals. Uh, we had two pretty successful uh, seasons there in 1995 in Edmonton. We set an, an NHL record that I don't think will ever be broken. Ten players drafted off one team in an NHL draft. Wow. And from there, uh, after a couple of years, uh, I built the team, but didn't build it quick enough. So moved off to Prince George and had a big, awkward kid there named Sedano Chara. <laughs> and then from there, I came back to Brampton. And that's how I got into the hockey. It was not by design. Uh, all the schooling I did was to be a teacher, you know, uh, slash principal or whatever the case may be, because I had so much success, A, in minor hockey, then in the junior A league. Obviously, people came calling for me, and I decided to make a career change. Uh, there was a lot of people when I made a career change thought I was an idiot. Mm. It was a severe cut and pay to start, but in the end, uh, you know, I've got to represent my country six times: once as an assistant coach with World Juniors, twice as head, uh, twice head coach of the under eighteen, and once as the assistant. I've got to travel the world, and I met a lot of great people like your dad and people through hockey, and from there. And end now up me. doing camps and things like that, and it just goes on and on and on. You know, I, I I do want to touch about some of those uh those seasons that you mentioned early on in your career and some of the success that 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 you did have. But it kind of occurred to me, you know, I, I because I didn't know this about you, I can look up your stats and I can look up how long you've been coaching, but I, I, I truly didn't know whether the intention was to get into coaching, what your love and affinity towards hockey was. Those are a bit more subjective. And you mentioning that that, that was kind of never in, in the cards or at least not something in, in top of mind. 
What do you think it was about your coaching style or your personality or your people management skills that gave you that huge hit of success so early on that, that made you take to something that other people trained to be, to be doing. You kind of went ahead of them just because of your own, I guess, raw talent. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this sounds silly, but uh, a lot of people that knew me in my teaching days would tell you I was a basketball coach and a volleyball coach. I think I've always been a coach mm-hmm. um, and not being boastful, but I always won as a coach. It didn't matter. What, I was winning Scarborough City basketball championships, volleyball. I think there wasn't a sport that I coached in Scarborough we didn't win at in some time. So I always knew I could coach and I always loved to coach. Um, and then I think what happened with hockey, quite frankly, at that time was one of the few sports that you could actually make a living at as a coach. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, you know, it's, it was unique. And I guess the reason I got to where I got to is because when you win all the time, then I guess people want to take a chance on you, but I winning think will, winning will jump you up the ladder ahead of other guys that are more trained, but aren't winning. That's for sure. It goes a long way. Yeah. And you know what? It, it wasn't a goal of mine. I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be a hockey coach. Um, it just happened. I mean, I, I, you know, I was a pretty average hockey player. I, I was a jack of all trades, master of none. I played all different sports. I played basketball, football at the senior level in high school, played lacrosse for Toronto beaches. I, I, I did everything, but I just loved sports as a kid and I love that. And yeah, I mean, it was just funny how it happened. And, you know, when I look back, probably what my strengths were was I always thought I was a good communicator. I thought, I could motivate well, and I think my biggest strength was just honesty. And I don't know if that's a strength in today's society with the newer player that, you know, now they they seem to want to be coddled more and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I think they were the things that allowed me to be successful. I mean, if you know anything about the GTHL at the time, I mean, the Nats and the Marlies were dominant at every age group. So for us at Wexford to kind of move up there and kind of push them over, um, you know, and, and when that was, uh, that was something that was kind of pretty neat in those days. You know, I want to jump in here and just say this because, uh, obviously I know Stan very well, uh, not as well as I'd like to, because he's a long way away right now, but <laughs> that's a nice fishing around the North if, Bay. You might be able to. Yeah. You know, you know I, I love down. seeing you guys at the cottage at French river. I kept telling Troy there, I said, tell Brian <laughs> to get on his boat and he can pick me up on the dock. Hey, and you you we can come bay. down it's to Georgian Bay and work our way up there for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but what I will say is that there's, if, if Stan went through all the players that have crossed his path, either sure. by coaching or coached against or whatever. And I was with Mitch Marner yesterday at actually when, when you and I were talking on the phone and Mitch was yeah, I heard his dog for us. barking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, but you know, I, I mentioned to him when I got off the phone, I said, do you know Stan Butler? And he right. says, well, I've never, and he's, you know, more current guy, but absolutely knew you respected you. And I think, all the players that you've coached or crossed paths with, I've never heard a negative thing about Stan, the way he coaches or coached against. Um, he's a very well-liked coach from everybody from players to players' parents, which is also right. really important at that level and, and going right to one of your best friends and a and good friend of ours is Troy and Trina Crosby who still stay in touch with you on a regular basis when sometimes, you know, things in the past that people lose touch, but they never did because that was a special relationship with you. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously Troy and I spent every summer together when Sid was young and I was the guy on the ice training him. But, you know, it's funny in life, and Brian, you're kind of the same way. Like when you meet people before they make it big, and, you know, I, I mean, I can remember, you know, taking Troy and Sid to the Dairy Queen in Canmore, Alberta, and, you know, you know, we would have fun and put different things on people's jackets and stuff like that. And, you know, we did a lot of fun things. I mean, uh, we spent all our time together. We spent our summers together. I mean, when we're together for four weeks, you know, we're the only two adults there, basically him and I. I mean, you spend a lot of time. But uh, <laughs> I think what happens in the same when I had Jason Spezza when he was 15, I think when people trust you and they know what you're like and they know you're not out to gain from it, uh, that's what develops good relationships and that's what develops loyalty. And, you know, unfortunately in life today, sometimes loyalty is, is something that's that more about money and profits. And, yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, the true, the true people stick with you and, and stay in touch even when you're way up in uh, well, North I wanna, Bay. And, yeah. In North Bay. Well, I want to kind of uh, uh, tie what the both of you just said together with a question, because, you know, you mentioned dad that, you know, all the past players, even some who have never uh, played against or, or played under Stan have, have the utmost respect. I mean, he's, he's a name, especially in, in, in minor hockey, junior hockey like this. Um, One thing that I, that I wanted to ask you, Stan, I was, I was listening to an interview with Wojtek Volsky recently, and he said something that, that, I was reminded of when you said, you know, certain players in, in the modern era need a little bit more coddling. Um, he and both and Paul Bissonnette as well said uh, yeah, that they preferred, those guys well. they preferred that that style of coaching. In fact, something that Wojtek said really struck me. He said some coaches would beat you down and then put you in the rafters. In other words, they would they would tear you down and then they would forget about you, not give you a chance. He said he'd beat you down, but then he'd put you back on the ice the next shift. How did you balance that sweet and salty coaching strategy? And do you think that was kind of at the core of some of your success there? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it gets back to what I said about being honest. Like, you know, these guys are in the development league. They're trying to make the National Hockey League. If you don't tell them the truth and they don't learn what they need to do to get there, then they won't get there. But at the right. same time, you got to realize that they're teenagers. So it's no different than being a parent, right? You, mm-hmm. you kind of put out the discipline or tell them what they need to do. And then, you know what? You pat them on the back and you, and you send them back out there. And no one ever learns anything uh without being told what to do first so that's my attitude and i think you know with the guys the players that took the time to get to really know me um this morning before i went on with you i got a couple guys that played for me they're in american hockey league and i was talking to them about things that you know i think they need to do to keep it going um when you develop those long-standing relationships with people and people know that you know you may whack them on the back but god are no one else better like you've yeah. got their back I right. think they appreciate that and you know I I always laugh I always remember one of the great quotes is I went to a, a former player of mine Rafi Torres um uh retirement party and it was up in Vaughn and I was there and everybody was there and you know Raf played for me for three years and I'm you know he's a six-round OHL pick so he went from a six-round OHL pick to you know, fifth overall NHL pick. He scored the overtime winner in Russia for us against a goalie named Henrik Lundqvist. Um, and I remember his dad there. And, you know, we had our differences for three years. And he comes to me, goes, Stan, for three years, I didn't know whether I'd like you. <laughs> he says, but now when it's all over, he says, 
I realize everything you did for my son was was great, and I really appreciate it. I said, his name's Juan. I said, Juan, don't worry about it. I said, but I will say one thing. In your particular situation, you have 18 million reasons why to like me. So, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, sometimes tough love, or, and, I, and I'm sorry, uh, you know what, you're the person you are, but people that know me, yeah, I might give someone a little bit of shit here or there, pardon the language, but if they needed me at 12 o'clock midnight, I'd be the first guy at their house to help them out. It yeah. seems to be what, what kind of matters the most. And I, I'm curious, you know, as a coach, as someone who's who's managed their to balance the reputation and, and be, you know, give, give a little bit of the, a stick along with the carrot. When you hear people in the media who aren't involved in coaching starting to churn a narrative about a specific coach that seems to be negative and perhaps is based on coaching style. Let's use Mike Babcock, for example, a guy who's seen a ton of success in his career. And I'm sure you know that it's really difficult to maintain a room, to give a little bit of a push, and then also to make sure that that people are liking you, where that, where that may not have been as important in the past. What is your perspective when you start to hear these coaches uh, being questioned in spite of the success that they've seen? Is it do you think there's anything they could have done differently or are you just thinking, thank God I'm not coaching right now because my style may not have been as appreciated as it, as it once was. Well, I think what makes you good sometimes leads to your ending, if that makes sense. And sure. I think what happens is unless you're in college hockey or football, I think the reality of the national hockey league in today's era is everybody has an ex- expiration date. Right. So, you know, most coaches today, no matter whether they're good, uh, they won whatever they won. Most of them, there's a time span where they're really effective and then rightly or wrongly um, it's time to move on. And I mean, you know, I coached against Mike in the Western league. He was in Spokane was in Prince George, you know, obviously, you know, in in life you wouldn't have the success he had if you weren't a great coach, but Mm -hmm. you know, uh, sometimes in life now, uh, you know, People just the people aren't as patient. Uh, people aren't as forgiving. Uh, we have social media today. We have Twitter. We have Instagram. Uh, people can, you know, voice their opinions that ten or fifteen years ago wouldn't ever be in a position to have a platform. So I think in this day and era for NHL coaches, I think it's very very difficult. Um, you know, I, I think probably they all have a window now mm-hmm. and. What makes them good is they believe in themselves. So if something happens and, and they get let go, it's 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 a job that very few people to get to retire on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Very few people get to decide what happens. You know, the way people get jobs is people get fired. The way people get, you know, it's, it's just the nature. So there's only so many know, spots. It yeah. doesn't matter what you do in 210. It's what you do today. And that's just life. You got to if you're into coaching, you accept that. And that's what it's all about. Right now, uh, you mentioned, you know, coaches having expiration dates. And one of the things that I think is most amazing about your career is you spent 22 seasons coaching Brampton, both in North Bay and uh, uh, or sorry, the battalion, both in North Bay and, and in Brampton. Um, 22 seasons is a long time to, to serve with with one franchise. You were at the time uh, up until 2019, the only person who had ever coached for that franchise um, is. It started out though as kind of a a a little bit of a, a a a rough patch. You had a lot of successful seasons leading up to to the battalion. Uh, you you mentioned the season in which ten players were sent to the NHL draft. Um, 
And then starting in Brampton, you didn't make the playoffs. And that was one of only two times that that had happened during your tenure. Was there a point in that season or after that season that you started to think, you know, perhaps um, my luck has run out? Did you start to doubt yourself or did you know that all you needed was that one extra shot to get the team back on board? Well, firstly, we got to understand, like I got to... I don't want to mean to make excuses, but we were an expansion team that year. Right. And two teams came in at once. It never happened before. So before when expansion teams came into the OHL, you would get 15 or 16 players. As But because us and Don Cherry's Ice Dogs came in, what happened is we 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 only got eight players each. So I was lucky enough to work for a great owner all those years, uh, Scott Abbott, the mentor of Trivia Pursuit. Um, and we made a decision, him and I, that we were going to go with a glorified midget team. You know, we had Jason Spez as an exceptional status player. We drafted. I think we took 14 or 15 kids out of the draft, and we went with a really young team. So we knew, like, no team makes the playoffs expansion, unless right. you're the Vegas Golden Knights, and then <laughs> they realized the way they set up the rules were wrong. But we didn't pay $500 million to get in. Sure. So we knew that was going to happen, and I was a coach, like, if you look at my background, before I went to Prince George, uh, they hadn't made the playoffs in eight years. They hadn't won a playoff round since Grand Fury was a goalie 15 years before. Uh, we went to the conference final out there. They've never, ever in their career done any better than that. Right. Um, we just knew that was going to happen. And then what was the goal was the next year, Jason Spezza actually got drafted by the Ice Dogs because they finished behind us. And we got a guy named Jay McClement. Year two, we made the playoffs. And which at that time was phenomenal. I think we improved 51 points and we finished six in our conference, which means that there was four teams that could have played for 20 or 30 years that we went by. Right. And that year when we made the playoffs and won six games in the first round of the playoffs, um, the Ice Dogs finished last again. And we kind of had a different strategy. So, you know what? Um, I wasn't worried that year. Um you know, at the end of the day in hockey, it's it's a results-oriented base in business. At the end of the day, um, my last year or two in North Bay kind of caught up. Uh, it was a combination of a lot of things. You know, I got I had some health issues that I had to overcome. Uh, the team on the ice wasn't uh, doing very well. And, you know, that's hockey. People got to make changes to try to better the team. Uh, they're doing very well right now. Um, all the guys that work there were guys that I hired. Uh, I think they're doing a good job there. Um, some of the guys that were there when I started as young guys are, are key guys in their team. But, uh, you know, nor, uh, the reality of junior hockey is it goes in cycles. And yeah, yeah. that's just the nature of the business. And, yeah, you know, you Well, it's not you like you can keep that. the players year after year for 10 or 15 years. Right, you, right. you know, you got Sidney Crosby never left Pittsburgh, but. Um, that's not the case in junior hockey. Well, so. I'll give you a good example, guys. In 2008-2009, we lost in the finals to Windsor Spitfires. Mm-hmm. I think they had 15 guys playing in the NHL, Ryan Ellis, Ty- Taylor Hall. I can go on and on and on. We lose to them in the final. Well, at the end of the year, our three best players are all eligible to come back. Um, Duchesne would have been an 18-year-old. Eugenie Grabchev, who played for Russia, star at the World Juniors that year, would have been a 19-year-old. And Cody Hodson would have been 19 years old. Well, at the end of the day, what happens? Cody starts the year in Vancouver and gets injured and basically doesn't play. Matt makes uh, Colorado as an 18-year-old and comes second the rookie of the year. And the Rangers, be- because Eugenie was a Russian, 
decided to put him in the American Hockey League, which they're allowed to. So even though you should have had a better team than the team that lost in the finals, now you lose all those guys. Right. Well, you're back into the into the mix. So junior hockey is tricky because a lot of things have got to fall into place. You got to have good players, but not too good of players. Right. And you right. got to realize that usually the teams that win have the better older players. And if you have exceptional players like I don't know, you know, Rusty Klesla, you know, Ricky Nash, these type of guys, they don't see they're gone. Right. By when they should be the key players on your team, and that's the, that's the challenge in junior hockey, really. Right. Well, it's yeah, it's it's such an interesting perspective, knowing that you know they got to play well, but they can't play too well because then the better they play, the fewer players you have returning to you, and then you almost have to start back from scratch. And yet, the reputation of the team also plays a factor because if you're not doing well enough, no one's going to want to come play for the team. Exactly. It's I, mean, to I, I can give you a great example: is Brent Burns. Brent Burns, we drafted in the fourth round. He was about five foot ten. And we sent him to Kuchiching to play junior. So he went one year as a 16 or didn't even play in the OHL 16, went to play in Kuchiching. Next year he came back, he's six foot three. Mm-hmm. He played probably on our third line most of the year. We got an injury in the playoffs, and people don't know this. Brent Burns got drafted as a right winger. And right. we we moved him up to our first line with Jay McClement, and he lit it up in the playoffs, had an unbelievable playoffs. Well, Minnesota drafted him 24-25 overall. That was it. He never played another game for the battalion. So that was a guy that only played one year in the OHL. No one ever thought he'd make the NHL at 18, and he did. And now he's won a Norris Trophy. He's got some interesting commercials, to say the least. <laughs> and, and a great set of teeth. Other than Joey Thornton might have one of the best beards in the game. <laughs> you know what? I find it amazing because as you talk to Stan, and I've known him a long time, but he memories come back of the guys that have that he's coached, that he knows, like they all know him. And a lot of the guys played for him, big stars, you know, and, uh, and some of the greatest guys in hockey, maybe that's a reflection of Stan's influence on them. I know Matt Duchesne, one of the nicest guys that I've ever met, um, will do anything for you. Um, and, and, and his parents are great. These are the people that I know that, you know, uh, most of them are just exceptional people, but it blows me away that people, the the big stars that have have uh, that stands touched. Well, over let's the years. let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you've already mentioned Matt Duchesne. I mentioned Wojtek Volski. Uh, you mentioned Cody Hodgson, Rafi Torres, Jason Spezza. Uh, those are some of the bigger names. Some of the some of the guys who have come through and and had uh, you know more points than many of the other players who have have gone through the battalion. Who do you think? Or maybe maybe you don't have this off the top of your head, but maybe the most underrated player uh, oh, that you've coached. That that's a, that's an easy one for me. And who most underrated player ever to play for the battalion is a guy named Barkley Goodrow. Barkley, Barkley Goodrow played five years for me. I love that guy. He never got drafted, which was a joke. He played five years of junior. His last year, in it's our first year in North Bay, we, we were an underdog and we got all the way to the OHL final and lost to a very good Guelph team that had a line of Detroit Red Wings of Fabry, Bertuzzi, and Suter. I mean, I look at their team. We ended up we made life difficult for them, but they won. And then Barkley goes to the, you know, signs a free agent contract. I give a lot of credit to my fellow Scarberian, Brian Marchman, for doing that after I bugged him for a long time. And then he goes to San Jose, does a really good job. Then he gets traded to Tampa Bay. Everybody tells him, oh, what a bad trade. He gets yeah. traded for a first-round pick. And he didn't get traded. for. He got traded for a first, but they got a third back. At the end of the day, he goes to Tampa wins two Stanley Cups, right. was a key part of the team. Signs a very, very nice contract in um, New York. 
in York. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to go to a Stanley Cup party in Aurora this year. And it was kind of neat because it was almost like a reunion of all the players. And, you know, to see a guy to do what he did, never drafted in the NHL, play five right. years at junior. Uh, that's a great story. I love that because I wasn't, you know, I, some some coaches are going to want to play coy. They don't want to favor one over the other. Uh, I, I love that you had an answer ready to go with that one. Similar question. Uh, maybe this one you might be a little bit more hesitant to, to answer, which if, if, if that's the case, that's fine. But is there a player that you maybe thought underperformed compared to how great they were at the level playing in, in for the battalion? Some Someone who maybe you expected to go a little bit farther that, that didn't quite make it there. Yeah, you know, that's one that... Uh... You know, out of respect for a hockey player, you yeah. never, as good as you guys are at your job, it's, yeah, there's, you know what, it's funny when you reflect on your career, and I've had a lot of time to reflect because I haven't been doing a whole lot of much other than shoveling snow. Um, at the <laughs> end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, like, there's guys that you think for sure are going to make it that you coach and they never do for one reason or another. And, you know, and then there's other guys you coach that, God love them. Um, you know, you love them as people, but they find a way. And well, sometimes you know, you know it- I think as a coach, it's no different than a teacher. You know, you're you, there's always guys that you wonder, like, could I have done something more to help that guy or prepare him more for pro than I did, or was it just something else I couldn't do differently? Sure. And you know, that's that's the tough part. But yeah, you get guys. I mean, you always have guys that you think would 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 do better you know not even do better but play longer and then you got guys like even when I was out west I mean I you know I mean I still stay in contact with Zedno Chara I mean when he was 19 did people think he was ever going to win a a Norris trophy no but they didn't see him in a weight room and see the animal he was I mean young Eric Brewer on that team who played for me who ended up being a first round NHL pick I mean you know, did I, you know what, I mean, he had a hell of a career. I mean, I had an overage goalie that when I got there, quite frankly, they wanted me to trade and I love the kid. And now he's in Nashville as the color commentary, Chris Mason. I mean, yeah, there's guys that, you know, you, that make it and have good careers that you're really happy for because I guess they, you know, Chara would be a guy, believe it or not, I, he's going in the Hall of Fame. But most people, when they saw him at 19 and, you know, he had to play in the Kentucky, like he had to play in the American League. So guys like that amaze you. But, yeah, you always got guys. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. You always have guys that are high expert expectations but never live up to them. Well, you know what, Stan? You, yeah, I mean, you'd have a better eye than anybody. And I know a lot of um, a lot of agents and, and players want to get some inside track from your expertise. And Pat Brisson is a good friend of both of ours and, uh, and, and different guys throughout. You know, I dealt with Pat, you dealt with Pat and other agents, and I'm sure they're always trying to get your perspective on an up and coming player. And sometimes they work out and even, you know, you would have a better perspective, but I know how many times Pat's called me and told me that this guy's going to be the next great player or he's really worth. He's going to be the next Sidney Crosby. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, how many times I've heard that, but then when they told me about Sidney Crosby, he was going to be the next Wayne Gretzky and he turns out, you know, he's right there. So uh, but a lot of the times uh, we've signed probably, and we talked about this yesterday, I probably signed more deals with Pat and some of his his players uh, as they came into the league right. that that were, that, and I'm not mentioning any names, but we're never, you sure. know, lost a lot of money on some of those guys because <laughs> Pat would tell me they're the next great thing. 
and never made it a year or two into the thing. And, 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 uh, that's just the way it is. Sometimes they just show, look at first round draft picks, Alexander Dag, uh, yeah. Yakupov, who's a really nice guy back in a couple of years in the league and he's back in Russia right yep. now. So these number one pick yeah. and he doesn't make it into the league. Well, for more I, than a couple you know years. what, Brian, what I used to always tell agents is when they give me a hard time and I had a good relationship with all of them, 3% and nothing's nothing. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know what? The the one thing I did is I always had a track record of getting the most out of players. And I'd, I'd argue with anybody that disagreed with me because I think even being an old guy, I know the analytics well enough to know bell curves and how guys get better. But the reality with the agents is 3% and nothing's nothing. And, you know, it's funny. I, I just, you got me thinking of a funny story, but I remember the first time I ever met Troy Crosby, I, uh, that was when, uh, uh, what's it called? IMG and CAA were amalgamating. And right. it was to do with, you know, Tom Rich was leaving to go to Pittsburgh with Mario and Mike Barnett was going with Wayne and Eddie Meal. They were heading. So JP Berry was bringing the IMG guys. Patty Brisson was bringing the rich guys. And then that's how C- people don't realize that that's how CAA uh, basically became the sports, what they are the today. Side, yeah. Um, and I remember I, I got to L.A. and, you know, I bumped into this guy there. And, you know, I remember I say to him, you know, like, what are you doing here? He says, well, my son's here. He's only 14 years old. So I flew out and I knew the list of guys are on the ice. And I go, oh, my God, 14 years old. Like, that's unbelievable. And then, you know, because we were the only two adults at the camp, like we spent every day at the pool together, everything. And I remember we go on the ice and. No you know, cocktails was, involved, right? Yeah, no cocktails. Not us, not in California. <laughs> and uh, we went on the ice and a um, lot of sunburn, though. I'm paying for it now every time I go to the dermatologist. But, uh, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, we we went, we practiced. I still remember Simi Valley, California. We went there and it was about a 45-minute bus ride. And it, it wasn't a rink like we know in Canada. Like you had to go upstairs to get to it and everything. So a very good friend of mine, as uh, Charlie Hodge used to call him, M10, better known as Eddie Meal, uh, <laughs> he says, I'm coming on the ice, Dan. I'm coming on the ice. Yeah, sure, Eddie, whatever you want. You can do the goalies. You're from Windsor. I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> so he come on. So Sid's on the ice. First time I'd ever seen Sid's gate. He get on the ice, and it was just like, well, this kid's unbelievable, right? Right. So he's unbelievable. He's going around the ice. I'm just like, I've never seen a kid like this, right? got his bubble on he looks like he's 11 years old he could get in you know under 12 for the uh the movie theater so we run this so you know eddie as as you guys know is best friends with wayne they've been friends since they got traded in indianapolis and he goes i'm calling wayne i'm calling wayne you gotta know eddie you know italian style i'm calling wayne i'm calling wayne i'm gonna get wayne to come here to to see this kid it's unbelievable i said yeah okay eddie i mean wayne's really busy i'm sure he isn't gonna come so sure enough, we're having beers that night. And Eddie says, guess what? Wayne's coming tomorrow. I said, oh, great. He's going to bring his equipment stand. He's going to skate. Mm. So now the only time in my coaching career, I'm nervous. Like I'm like, <laughs> I got Wayne Gretzky coming on the ice. I'm running a bunch of teenagers through drills and, and I'm bagging them and making them skate hard. And, and now I got the greatest player that ever played hockey and he's coming on the ice. Like, what do I do? Right. And obviously, I knew it. I knew Wayne pretty well through Eddie a couple times. I hate to admit it, I was their designated driver from the Four Seasons Sheridan in Toronto to to, to Brantford and back, so they could play golf. Um, so there's a you know we all knew each other. I was at you know Wayne's 
semi-retirement with Tommy bit off at the, the restaurant there and stuff. And Brian knows yep. how that works. And yep. Mikey, you probably do too. And we had Tommy the on the, the show. At yeah. the end Tom of the day, on. he shows up the next day, he pulls up in his Mercedes, whatever. It was just like a beer league commercial. Would have been great. He pulls his bag out of the back of the trunk and gets on him. He, you know, the only thing that changed is he came and sat in the ref's room with us. And so I just looked at him and I said, Wayne, like, what do you want me to do? And he goes, Stan, just treat me like one of the players. Now my heart's going boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Anyways, we go on the ice and he, he ran and I, we had a stupid little drill where if you're last in, you got to do a lap. And I think one time he was last in. He probably would never remember this. Only the coach would because I had to say, okay, Wayne, one lap. <laughs> and and he had to go and skate around the ice. But it was actually funny because then a guy I went to high school with, talk about a small world, his name's Garrett Joyce. And we grew up together, went to Monarch Park Collegiate in Toronto together. He ends up writing a Sidney Crosby book. So I was going to say, if he's you read an author. the book, there's the chapter of, you know, Team Canada World Junior Coach Stan Butler uh, runs a practice when Sidney met Wayne for the first time. And then after the practice, you know, obviously, you know, you know what Wayne's like. He took Sid and his dad back to have lunch. And I think in those days, uh, Sid was playing with the Dartmouth Subways. And if I recall, he came back with, you remember the two piece sticks like the blades and that yeah oh, so yeah. he came back with blade sign because in those days the kids had to fundraise so he had a couple of Wayne Gretzky's he was doing Brian's job before Brian so and he got it he, <laughs> he got never told me that and uh yeah it was great and uh, he signed them and that was the first time and I, I was amazed and then you know after that Troy and I became real good friends and I mean obviously Sydney was like a you know we still stay in touch Sydney not a lot you know because I don't bug him but you know, he's been amazing. Like, I have a special needs daughter. And uh, I'll tell you a funny story about that one, Mike, and then I'll let you lead the thing. But this is a sure. good story. So every no, year, Sydney's the kindest guy in the world. So he sends Sarah a Christmas present. So you got to understand, she's globally development delayed. She's So she gets her Christmas present, and she's fired up. And then he's sending her a dozen sticks. Well, she plays for the Durham Dragons special needs hockey. Like, one stick would last six years. But right. anyway, she's got them. So... The one time, I think it was Sid's first Stanley Cup, and uh, we're all there, and uh, Sarah came down. So she went back to school on the Monday after it was over, and about Tuesday or Wednesday, she's in a special needs class. I get a call, Mr. Butler. I said, yeah. Are you Sarah's father? I says, yeah. Yeah, I am. Uh, I need to talk to you about something. I said, oh, what'd she do wrong? He said, well, Sarah's a lovely girl and everything, but we were doing current events today at school, and... She said to people that she spent the weekend in Cole Harbor at Sidney Crosby Stanley Cup party, and she got to hear the great big C in the backyard and this that and that. And awesome. you know, we just you know we just don't want our kids exaggerating because a lot of our kids here come from different backgrounds, and we don't want them to think this is a thing. And <laughs> oh, I said, wow. I stopped the teacher and I says, I'm sorry, I forget what her name was. I said, That's true. Sarah spent the weekend in. Uh, Cool Harbor. Yep. She heard the, she went on a boat and heard a band there. And then I, uh, Sam Roberts band the first night and then the great big C the second night and, uh, in the backyard and we had everything and you guys were there. You know what it's like? So then the teacher's like, really? And I said, yeah, she goes, Oh, okay. But I just thought it was a funny story because here they think my daughter's a bullshitter. Yeah. And we never said anything to people where we're going for the weekend. So it's current events. She fears, I'm just going to tell people what I did on the weekend, right? Wow, nine times so. out of ten, the kid would be lying about something. Yeah, like that, it would but be bullshit. Out, yeah, so here yeah. the teacher started to call me to say, hey, 
your kid here, we got a muzzle or she's not, she's not telling the truth. So. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love that story. Um, I, it's, it's great also to get some perspective on, on how you were first introduced, uh, to Sid and, and to, to the family. Um, I mean, over, over the course of, of your career, as you mentioned, you would have had so much contact with so many of the players and so many of their parents, uh, so many of whom have so many great things to say about you over the course of that, that career. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, you spent 22 seasons with, uh, the battalion, um, one thing that that I'm curious about, you know, you you managed to win your division five times. You won the conference finals twice. It's very clear. It's a very accomplished career. Um, even just in spite of the fact that you coached at one franchise for 22 seasons, leave leave the the world juniors out of it as well. I'm interested in this because that should be enough for most people. There's a this is going to sound like it's unrelated, but follow me for a bit here. There's there's a, a race car driver in F1. His name's Daniel Ricardo, and he's actively considered to be the best current driver not to have won a world championship, potentially, uh, especially with Verstappen just having won. Now, he was asked in an interview recently, because it's looking like he probably won't win a world championship, whether that would be a an element of regret in his mind, looking back on his career, or if the points that he's put up and the wins and the lives he's touched, is that enough? Do you share, and he said yes, he said that would be enough, and it's a great interview answer, and I'm curious, do you, do you share the same sentiment regarding the OHL championship and then potentially the, the Memorial Cup, or is that always something that you really wish that you could have, you, you could have gone? Yeah, I mean, I, I, no disrespect to your racing car driver, I, <laughs> I look at it differently than him. Um, yeah, I reflect on it, I have numerous times, yeah, I mean, I, listen, and we have goals and objectives, and you know, did I reach most of my goals? Yeah, I did, but there's some I didn't. I mean, right. if, you know what? In my time in the OHL, is it disappointing I never won an OHL championship? Absolutely. Is it hard to win? Yes. Do things got to – yeah, it's it's something that I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, it bothers me. I, you know, I won four whatever they were called, Dudleys and Junior A. I won the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament. I won three All-Ontarios. So – I'm a guy that's used to winning, and right. yeah, it's disappointing. It's the same with the World Juniors. I mean, I was the assistant coach in '99. Uh, we lost in overtime to the Russians. Uh, that was disappointing. And then, you know, when we won the bronze, I mean, really, that year was in Russia. And anyways, we, a bunch of guys got sick, and it, it was a team. You know, the team did as well as it could do. And then, you know, in '02, we lost five four to the Russians in the gold medal game in the Czech. So yeah, I mean. The two things that I, you know, uh, I, you know, I went back in 215, coached Ivan Alinka team. We went seven straight wins and we won the gold medal, which was nice. But yeah, would I have liked a world junior gold medal and an OHL championship or a Memorial Cup? Absolutely. I think that's and a I, fair and great answer too. Yeah. That's competitive that says that's not a bit disappointing it's is bullshit. not telling the truth. Right. Now, this, this is, this may just be semantics, but. Is that it does does the fact that those are off of your resume, does that make you consider your career incomplete? Or are you okay with where it is? Granted, you, you could have some some you, you could have wanted it, but is is there is it is your career does it stand on its own to you, or is the in your mind, is there an element of it that feels unfinished? Not just like I would have wanted it to have gone a certain way. Do you feel like your career has been complete? Well, I mean, obviously, you know what? I mean, I I would have loved to win those things. Um, but, you know, I mean, I guess I could look at it the other way at World Juniors. I mean, I never got to coach World Juniors in Canada. I never right. got to coach right. World Juniors right. in North America. I went to Russia. 
I went right. to the Czech Republic. And when you look back over the years, not everybody medals over there. I right. medaled every time. And, you know, we did win, you know, when I went back in 215 and there were some people that probably thought, oh, God, what are they bringing this little guy back to do this for? And that was a 98 team with guys like Victor Mete and Nolan Patrick and Brett Howden and Pierre-Luc Paul. And we won the tournament, you know, pretty easily in the end. Um, you know, that 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 was good. But, I mean, yeah, you, there's always going to be, you know, I don't know, 5% of you that feels like, you know, disappointed that you didn't get to that. Sure. But at the same token, is your career total success if you don't win those things? No. But – I guess the other thing is you got to look at it sometimes, and it's hard when you're a competitive person. That compared to ninety-eight percent of the people that have done your job, yeah, you're better than them. But yeah, it still burns my ass. I'm going to be honest with you. I think yeah, it's but here's, here, so often. I mean, yeah. here's and, what and, I would and, say. And the, and the silly thing is, both times we went to the OHL final, what would have made it worse is if we were favorites to win. Mm-hmm. Neither time we were favorites to win. Right. So you know. Yeah, it was disappointing we lost. And, you know, but, you know, the teams that beat us both went on and won Memorial Cups. Here's what I would say about Stan's career. Uh, You know, yes, there's always, you know, things that disappoint, you know. But anybody that looks back on his career is going to say he's one of the greatest coaches that have ever coached in, in those leagues. And you put yourself way at the top of that list. And you can't be disappointed with that. You can't have any regrets. Do you want to win some things you didn't win? Look at Marcel Dion, one of the greatest players right. to, to play the game. Two things happened to him. One, he never played in Montreal, which would have been huge uh, for him and his career now uh, and after his career. And the second thing is, you know, he was one of the greatest, but he never won a Stanley Cup. Right. And that's because he was playing in L.A., and he almost, you know, he could have done it. So does that make diminish what he did in his career? No. Of course. He was still one of the greatest of all time, and everybody considers that. He didn't get the accolades. He didn't get the, the you know. All, yeah, and I mean, the- I, I think there's a lot of guys, Mikey, like that. Like Joe Thornton's never won a Stanley Cup. He's still going in the Hall of Fame. Right. Um, Jerome. Well, there's a lot of those guys, yeah. Yeah, Jerome's the same. You know, I don't know if he won one. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's tough. I mean, the other thing, too, when we played in Brampton, when I reflect, you know, some of the teams that we had in Brampton, if we would have been in North Bay where you had a sold-out building and crazy crowds, it might have made a difference. I mean, I sure. can't tell you as many times, and I love coaching in Brampton. I love the city of Brampton. But, you know what, we played a lot of playoff games in that rink where there was more people Half cheering empty, yeah. for the other team than cheering for us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's. It, I I asked the question because you know from the perspective of someone like myself, I look at those careers, you know, the careers of Jerome McGinley and, and Joe Thornton as well, and and think that that's a it's phenomenal. Like to me, absolutely a complete career. I'm always curious about the subjective analysis of one's own career, and that's no, why you I like don't. You're not question. satisfied, and that's what hopefully separates you from other people. Yeah, I mean, right. Fair there's right. a couple of things you you're never satisfied and you know what, you're never going to give up. And I mean, yeah, it's, that's what made you, what makes you good drives you crazy. Yeah. That's the best yeah. way to describe it. What makes you good drives you crazy. I mean, it's no different than Sidney Crosby. We've all been around him. I mean, I always laugh, you know, with Sidney after I got to know him. And then I did that, uh, 
I was working, I believe it or not, I, I know you can't tell, but I actually used to do the color for TSN for all the Hockey Canada things. And I went to Acadie Bathurst and, you know, uh, Paul Hollingsworth was the guy and, and nice guy. And I, and I look back, you know, Paul Hamming was the producer uh, or the director who's now running TNT, you know, he's the Turner Broadcast. He's the head guy for Hockey Canada. Mitch Kersner, whose brother is Ed the Sock, if anybody didn't know that. That's a true story. His brother, Steve Kersner, is the real Ed the Sock. Oh, wow. Mitch is doing the Chicago Blackhawk games. And the play-by-play guy was a game a guy named Dave Randorf, who is now doing Tampa Bay. And then the color guy was this guy, Stan Butler. Mm, so we went that. and we flew down at Kathy Bathurst. And anyways, in the semi, uh, Dartmouth Subways played, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Red Deer Optimus. Red Deer was stacked. I think the game was 8-7 for Dartmouth. It was like Sydney and Mikey Chase on was a goalie. Honest Mike there. And at the end of the day, they went eight, seven, I think sit at six or seven goals huh. and they win. So then with TSN, you got to do this meeting kind of before the uh, pregame, you know, yeah. before the game. And I go in, I don't tell Hollingsworth, I know Sid. So he's telling me how great Sydney is and this. And I said, oh, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, geez, yeah, I've heard about the guy. Then we go in and we have this meeting and Sydney sees me, comes right over, gives me a hot guy, Stan. And, and Paul Hollingsworth that we called Hollywood. Hollywood says, you didn't tell me you know him. I said, you didn't ask. But what I'm getting at, the next night they played the Tisdale Trojans out of Saskatchewan. Uh, great name. And they played them, and it was 6-1 for Tisdale. And you look down on the ice after they lost, and they were the first Maritime team ever to get to the finals of the uh, Air Canada Cup or whatever they call it. TELUS Cup now they call it. TELUS Cup. And you look at Sid when he takes his helmet off, and he's devastated. And, like, they shouldn't even have been in the final. Right. Like, right. The, other than Honest Mike, his buddy, the goalie, I don't think there's another kid on that team that played one game of pro hockey. But he is so competitive. Right. He's so upset that he didn't win. And, I mean, I'm not saying I'm like that. But, yeah, I mean, I Well, you, you are. In win. the coaching you, world, you are. Sure. Yeah, you want to win. And it bugs you. And when you see guys, like, let's be honest, we all pair ourselves. And you see guys that – of one something that you think you're way better than that, 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 that burns your ass. Like you're yeah. like, Oh shit, you know, but sometimes it's just right in the right situation. I've seen guys come into the OHL, win a championship and two years later, never get a coaching job again. They right. were just in the, cause at the end of the day, like the greatest coach ever, Scotty Bowman. Okay. Right. So Scotty Bowman in Montreal was unbelievable. Scotty Bowman in Pittsburgh was unbelievable. Scotty Bowman in Buffalo guys thought he couldn't coach anymore. Scotty right. Bowman goes to Detroit. He's unbelievable again. Huh. You're only as good. You got to have a certain level of players to have a chance to win. Sure. Um, and the challenge is a lot of times in junior hockey is a lot of the best players never play there after 18. So it's it's getting harder and harder to build a team. And you, you look at college hockey right now. Yeah, I know you have viewers in the states. You look yeah. at the University of Michigan. Unbelievable team, all these first-round picks, Owen Power, Brandon Brisson, you know, Hughes, all these guys. On paper, with all these NHL guys, there's no way they should lose. But then right. they play Minnesota State, who's coached by Mike Hastings, is a very good coach. The average age of his players, what I've been told, are like 23 or 24 years old. At the end, they might beat the University of Michigan, and people say, how did that happen? Well, that's Maybe the guys are too young. You know where I'm going. Yeah. So yeah. you never know. Yeah. 
So yeah. many variables, so many variables that we're, we're running a, a little low on time. I, I Every you know, time I do an interview, I get told that. So go ahead. Listen, well, no, you're, you're but I'd love to get you back because there's so much more to talk about. I haven't about. even touched on on uh, your your uh, national coaching uh, experience, which, which would be an episode in and of itself. Uh, so many other questions remaining, but uh, but we're, we're going to have to wrap this up soon. I want to lead off with one final question. And if you can sum it up, maybe in a word or a sentence, because I, I want to boil this down to its essence. Is there something you can recognize in a player where maybe other people can't recognize it, regardless of how many points they're getting at the level that you're coaching them that tells you this guy's got what it takes to make the show? Long-term potential. Long-term I have always potential. been very, very good to look at a player and not see them for what they are today, but see them for what they could be three or four years from then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, Barkley that Goodrell, Nick Paul, who never got drafted till the year later, that you know, and go on and on. But yep. uh, yeah, that's I that's something I've always been able to do is project long term potential. That's well, got to be uh, part of that part of the talent. And uh, I just want to say one final thing. So, uh, Stan, I'm heading up tomorrow uh, to hopefully see Sydney score his 500th goal in Ottawa with Troy and Trina. I'm going to tell them about this. They've agreed to come on the podcast in, in the next couple of weeks to talk about what it's like uh, raising a superstar. I'm sure your name will come up a few times in that interview. <laughs> but I'm going to tell them they got, uh, they got a big job to fill after your interview. because uh, And, and Troy, I'm sure, will tune into this one just to hear. Yeah, well, the only uh, thing I'm going to say about the Crosby's kiss, I'm very protective of people I love, and obviously I love them, is there's a reason why Sydney is the kid he is, and that is because the parents that he has. And Absolutely. Troy and Trina, you couldn't get better hockey parents. I've sat with Troy at a million games. A, he knows hockey. B, he's very objective. And C, all he ever expected from his son is to give the best effort and be the best he can be. And you know what? If more hockey parents were like the two of them, maybe there – I'm not saying there would be a lot of Sydney Crosby's, but maybe there'd be more than one. A few more, yeah. That's great. What a good note to go out on. And yeah, we'll see. I, as of recording, it's tomorrow that you're tomorrow. going to be going to so Ottawa. So when today, you hear this, if you're I will be in Ottawa getting ready for the game. There you go. Uh, listen, Stan, an absolute pleasure to interview you. If you've got time down the line, I'd love to have you back. I yeah, still, no I problem. I, I, I just tell you a quick funny story. There was a guy named Sherry Basson who was a bit of a legend on the OHL, and there was a show called Off the Record with Michael Landsberg. Yep, yep. And he was the bullpen guy. So every time someone didn't show up to Landsberg's show, Sherry would would, uh, bail them on and come in. So I'm going to tell you guys, because I I love you guys like family, if you ever need a guy coming out of the bullpen, just call. Hey, I love that idea. I love that idea. And uh, if you're ever looking for more stories and more more content relating to Stan, at Coach Stan Butler on Twitter, Uh, anything else you want to plug? Anything you're working on? A website you want to send? No, I listen. My my biggest my 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 day to day is I have I have a Siberian Husky. He's a beautiful dog. His name is Crosby. And uh, you know he's a superstar in my world, just like the real Sidney Crosby. And you know took him to daycare today do a little snow, go to the gym and try to compete with people that are much younger than me. And then, you know what, just watch hockey at night. That's kind of where I'm at right now. And, uh, you know, we'll just see where it goes. Well, when you get down to Toronto, Stan, we got to go out for a beverage and uh, maybe a meal. Absolutely. Yeah, that that sounds good, Brian. And, uh, yeah, good luck in Ottawa tomorrow. I, uh, DJ, uh, Bobby Jones, my assistant coach, is sitting there, and I've known DJ for a long time. And 
Uh, as much as I love Nick Paul, I hope he forgets one of his assignments tomorrow night and sit and slide <laughs> in and, and get that goal and get it over with. Perfect. The Elusive 500. Okay, great. Thank you uh, once again, Stan, so much. What a fantastic interview uh, for Stan Butler, Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth. This has been the Sign Off Podcast, and this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!